I invite you as the praise band makes their way down to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing to you, that each of us this morning might hear a word that you have for us, that we might hear your grace and become it in the world. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I like this story. Uh, I like this story for a number of reasons. The story of Zacchaeus, and it has nothing to do with the fact that there's a children's song that I didn't grow up learning because I didn't grow up going to the church necessarily, but I do know that it's a popular character in children's stories. So I imagine, I I know that one of the curriculums that we had not too long ago um, had our keiki that were drawing Zacchaeus up in a a palm tree, even though it was a sycamore, I understand, but drawing Zacchaeus up in the palm tree and, and looking at Jesus and that whole interaction that goes on and takes place. And like a lot of children's stories, I think that sometimes there's deeper complexities than what are on the surface. Uh, sure, we can communicate what's most meaningful in the story, but I, and I've talked about this not too long ago, probably I think about a year and a half ago I talked about Zacchaeus, but for the first just a little bit, I want to just paint the picture a little bit of the surrounding Jericho-Zacchaeus um, dynamic that's going on. Because we think, you know, this little short guy named Zacchaeus climbs a, uh, climbs a tree for his zeal, and Jesus stops and greets him. But Jesus is going into Jericho, and Jericho is this borderline city that was kind of at the time in ancient culture or ancient Near Eastern culture, it was this sort of resort place. So Jesus is walking into this resort place with his ragtag group of, you know, lower economic level people, whether they're fishermen or hands tradesmen or the low-level tax collectors. And so you can imagine just how the, the road would change from being gravel road to perhaps the, you know, Roman bricks or even the tile that they would be walking on. The houses wouldn't just be these sporadic country homes, but instead that they started to have, you know, the ranches and they started to have luxurious pools that would be out because that's what this place Jericho was. It was the retreat for the aristocracy at the time to relax and to enjoy and to live luxury. And so you would imagine then, if people are spending lots of money in this place called Jericho and had lots of money in this place called Jericho, the chief tax collector would too also have lots of money, right? Because this chief tax collector would be one of the most important people in the city because that's the person that inevitably sends money back up to Rome, and that's one of the ways in which a community can stay on the safe side with the Roman Empire. And I say all this because the interesting thing is, is that if you know the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke goes out of its way over and over again to talk about the materiality of Jesus and the poor. And what I mean by that is that the, sinner, the Lord's Prayer, when it says, forget us our debt as we forgive those who are indebted to us, that the Gospel of Luke uses a Greek word that is specific to money. And then over and over again, that Jesus cares for the poor throughout the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, there's a number of other stories, not just in Luke, but when rich people come to Jesus, they walk away 
disheartened. Because Jesus will say something like, in order to follow me, you must give up your possessions. Or, in order to follow me, you must do these things. And ultimately, the, you know, the rich young ruler, you know, he kind of like walks away discouraged. And, and there's the story of Lazarus and, um, as he goes down. And then the, the person who didn't have, uh, didn't care for those uh, people that were poor, you know, goes and calls up to Abraham and he says, save my friends, save my family, and tell them what happened. And unfortunately, Jesus' words end up being rather harsh in those contexts. But this story is different. This story is different because Zacchaeus doesn't walk away discouraged. In fact, Zacchaeus is part of what Jesus has as a mission that's also in Luke, a mission to go out and to save the lost. You know, the the lost coin or the lost sheep, the parables that Jesus goes out from that normal place and invites those who are on the periphery of what's considered good and holy to be part of his mission. Uh, We're in the midst of this sermon series called Unraveled. You might see it on our table. We have um, all sorts of cloth that are laid out. And we're doing this sermon series, and I hope you're following along with the devotion, because in many respects, our lives right now are feeling unraveled. Just when we started to think that we were on top of things here in Hawaii and we're the best state in the country, now our infection rate's higher and we have 200 plus cases each day and we went to being now locked down to no social gatherings of more than five and we can't go to the beaches and, and people that have been longing and waiting to, to get back to work or waiting to open their restaurants in full or waiting to see tourists again are now once again being prolonged in the state of what our table kind of looks like. This feeling of being dismantled and out of of control and in chaos. And you might wonder a little bit how this idea of being unraveled has to do with Zacchaeus or what that idea has to do with Zacchaeus because the story makes it seem pretty neat and packaged and put together. But there's two things about this story that I think are important. The first is... Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. Jesus makes a point to be with the one that the group that he was with would have seen as a sinner. And more particularly, the Pharisees and the Jewish community around them would have seen as the wrong person to go to the house. He wasn't just any tax collector. He was the high chief tax collector. But what's also interesting is that Zacchaeus also seems to lose a sense of that in this narrative. One, the high priest who probably had a, you know, a terrace that he could look out upon Jesus and you know, have that view if he really wanted to, could have stayed where he was, or he could have made the Roman soldiers bring Jesus into him, and he could have met Jesus in a lot of ways that matched his title. But then two, unlike other rulers that, or other leaders or people with high, lots of money in the stories of Luke, Zacchaeus doesn't ask for this sort of tit-for-tat type of relationship with Jesus, where it's, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Instead, when he hears the people saying that, how could Jesus go meet with the sinner? 
he again strips himself of that sort of well-to-do character and then says, I will give half of my possession to the poor. And if anyone has been defrauded by me, I will pay them four. And that was a radical statement for Zacchaeus. One that was preemptive, that wasn't necessarily, at least in the narrative, nothing in the narrative makes us seem that he was doing this so that he might get something. He was doing this out of his zeal to be with Jesus. And a sort of willingness, willingness to strip himself of the title that he carried in order to do good. I know many of us, our work life has looked totally different during this time. Some of us don't have a job. Some of us are cha- have changed. I mean, I'm here with no one in the sanctuary preaching, looking at a camera, right? We're on Zoom calls all day. We're not able to go into the office. Life as it relates to our jobs, has been unraveled. But I think Zacchaeus shows us that life is not only about our vocational calling to make money. What I mean by that is that we have more of a calling of work than just the work that we do during the week to pay our bills. Certainly, one hopes in life that our work aligns with our gifts and our passions and the ways that we want to kind of live out in the world. But we all know that that isn't always the case. And if you're retired, you might have recently retired, you're trying to figure out what work might you give yourself to. Or if you now find yourself doing uh, work differently that no longer is enjoyable, you used to love the in-person dynamics and now they're all behind a computer and so work has changed for you. Or you might find yourself unable to work at all, wondering when you'll be able to or if you have to switch careers or go back to school or do all of these things. Martin Luther Used to, the reformer of the 16th century, used to talk about how we as Christians have a calling that is more than the work that we set ourselves to for our you know, vocation. That we as Christians are called to the vocation of being a Christian. And what he meant by that was... For a period of time, there was this belief that to be a vocational Christian or like to work as a Christian, you either had to be a priest or be called into the monasteries. Otherwise, you're just a normal person, right? But Luther believed that all of us have the need to live out our calling as Christians in the world. And sometimes that might be married with our job, and other times that might be in conjunction or side by side, or as you're doing your job, that may not have specific Christian undertones that you might be able to incorporate your calling to live out Christ in the world in that place. And that's what we see Zacchaeus doing in this passage. 
He knows that this calling to follow Jesus was not compatible with oppressing the poor. We don't necessarily know how he knows it. We don't necessarily know that because Luke doesn't give us that information. But seemingly, Jesus' proclamation of his salvation, of his wholeness that's being made, is in conjunction with Zacchaeus not just saying he will follow Jesus, but doing it with his actions. This morning, we are going to be baptizing Miles, son of Nathan and Paula. In that baptismal covenant, we remind ourselves as Christians, as well as we name four miles, that all of us are called into the vocational calling to follow Christ. That whatever you put yourself to, or whatever you're feeling like you're not putting yourself to during the weekdays, this calling of Christ supersedes those things and invites us to live out Christ's image in the world. And that's not just reading your Bible or going to church. That is caring for those in need. That's caring for the poor. That's serving those around you. That's living out kindness and humility and the characteristics that embody Christ day in and day out. And so I know that life feels like this right now. And in fact, I was on that news on KHON 2 on Friday night because they were calling out to a few pastors or religious leaders in the area say, what are you going to be doing differently? And I like, they took some quotes of that conversation, but the one that I wish that they would have taken and put on, because I think it's so important for all of us right now, is that I hope in some ways that this experience for the church might enliven in us the need for us to live out our faith in our everyday life. I think sometimes we get into this routine that faith is about coming to church and hearing a word from God that might empower us throughout the week. And I certainly hope that's something that you experience through our online worship. But I think now more than ever, we're being challenged as individuals to live into the vocational calling of being God's grace in the world. And I can't tell you what that looks like because discerning one's vocation takes a whole lot of discernment about one's gifts and strengths. Following Christ doesn't mean you lose the particularities that make you you so that we might become the same body in Christ. Following Christ means we take the skills, the resources, or like Zacchaeus, the money that he had. Whatever it is that you have and and give it back. Give it to those that are in need. Give it to the, the people that are hungry right now, the people that are without homes right now. Give it to the ways in which we can serve someone who might need to hear a word of grace from you. So I can't tell you exactly what to do other than to tell you that you have gifts, particularities, amazing characteristics that have been given by God. 
And you might be using those in your job, and that is awesome. How also are you using that to live out your call of baptism? Your vocational calling to be the body of Christ in the world. And I, I really hope you don't hear an either-or with this. Live your job, work your job, live out your calling. I hope that we might learn to integrate that. But if you're feeling like your job is not the way it ought to look, know that there are ways for you to live out your calling. There are ways for you to embody Christ in the world. Certainly this time is different for all of us but how might we let God transform us, change us, so that we might show God's love to others? I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, we give thanks that we all can live out our calling to follow you. Whether it's through leading in a worship team, whether it's through caring for those who are houseless, whether it's by supporting a neighbor or calling a friend who needs to hear from someone, Whatever those gifts and strengths that you've given us, we pray that you might empower us to live those out. And that all that we do might be a small window into your love and your grace. That all the people we meet might encounter a glimpse of you in us. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.